There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. (sighs) The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 104 of the No Encore Music Podcast. I am back and I have fired the rest of the team after they betrayed me last week and invited John Barker of Totally Irish into the studio against my will. And that's why for this episode, you're just going to hear me. No other voices. So with that in mind, I'm going to kick straight into the news. This week, a lot of things happened. Isn't that right, boys? (laughs) You couldn't make that far. Good. certainly is, Your Honour. Do we have to call you Your Honour now that you've been judging? (laughs) I think I've been uh, disbarred if anything from, <laughs> from the Choice Music Prize 2018 judging process thought it went swimmingly no? Didn't it <laughs> went pretty good but yeah. I was kind of the one lone voice in the room as Damn. always <laughs> for a certain thing anyway Colm yes. Regan Craig Fitzpatrick good to have you back what mate up? it's our first show together since the fucking snow thing I know so yeah. we've been to you for a long time true, yeah. it's all happening man it's all, all happening I guess we'll start with the choice will we yeah, let's. go on. Any questions, guys? <laughs> I mean, not that you can probably answer. <laughs> well, I said quite a lot last week. <laughs> it's true, yeah. I mean, you know what? John called it. He did call we it, yeah. Show, he was, yeah. He was bang on the money. And listening back as well, without looking to Dave to divulge too much, I think his summary of like a- an album that might unite the room is probably a good way of putting it. 
Yeah, definitely. That album was Procession by Ships, and once again, congratulations to them, even if, yes, I personally said, no, I don't think it should win. Yeah, I mean, every That's year, fine. it's kind of, you know, there's uh, it, there's some contention around it. It, it ge- definitely generates a lot of kind of conversation. And, you know, not to be, like, massively cliche, but that can only be a good thing, right? At least these albums are being talked about. Well, yeah, and what's neglected. more, I mean, look, yeah. it's the point of having a panel. Yeah, I mean, you know, if it, if it was that cut and dried, then they'd just have one person decide every year. The whole point of getting people into the room is to, you know... I, I, there's positive and negatives to it, I suppose. But yeah, it's like democracy versus yeah, <laughs> dictatorship. Yeah. Well, you talk about talking about it, and someone who did talk about it, and I don't know if he was impressed or unimpressed, because I couldn't quite tell, <laughs> was Ed Power yeah. in his Irish Times write-up the following day. Now, we all have history with Ed. We all worked with, alongside him <laughs> in, with Ed. <laughs> in a certain capacity in, in a hot press magazine back uh-huh. in the day. And I'm quite fond of Ed, generally. I, I, I like him. I think he's a funny funny sort of good writer. He's Cork that always gets involved However, However, I must say that his write-up of the Choice Prize for the Irish Times I felt like he was just trolling for trolling's sake. And at the same time, honestly, I feel like he had a schizophrenic episode midway through writing it because it just changed course so often. And I was like, he was like, oh, this was a really bold choice. Well done, the judges. Underrated act. And then three paragraphs later, he was like, this is really predictable and it shouldn't have won. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) The the sense I got from it was that he was asked to write an article on it because he has previous for kind of... um, disagreeing with not only the choices but the kind of methods by which they're reached and I think this time around he actually quite liked the album but he was given a specific task and he kind of didn't go into it totally wholeheartedly so it kind of became this thing where he was expected to write a contrarian piece, but he kind of lo- liked the music, so yeah. it just it made no sense. <laughs> it is hard to do in that, yeah. in that situation. Yeah. I might be it? totally off base, but that's what it read like to me. Yeah. Yeah. The other takeaway, of course, was that he, he seemed to kind of suggest that, you know, make, that the award should stand for something more. This is the, yeah, like it, it, this time around it was like it should stand for a social movement or so it should capture the zeitgeister, but we've heard before it should be just for the artists that truly deserve it in terms of financially. It should really, for me, it should just be about the best album, Irish album of the year. That was my contention in the room. That's it. And I do feel like, and I'm not speaking for any judge here, so therefore I'm not betraying any secrets, I do feel like Ships won because of their story. I don't think the album is, I I just, I've said it last week, I'm not going to like fucking rag on them, but like ultimately, I think it's a good album, I don't think it's a great album. Also, in Ed's piece, he did say, uh, what a a statement or a gesture it would have been to give it to Marlene Enright on International Women's Day. But like, such an arbitrary day, like. But that's also like madly patronising to her, to be like, give her the album because she's a woman. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, the album's good, but it's, but it's also not a classic, and it wasn't as strong as the other ones on that list. And it would have been an absolutely bizarre thing to do. And like, it'd be isn't an all-male lineup. It's, yeah. it's not oh, even no, like it's a bunch like, of blokes. That, he did like, note it, but that's, yeah, even he recognised that it didn't make full sense. Like, but, like, can you imagine like, if, if Marion Enright won the Choice Prize because of her gender, and that was the only reason? Listen, and what's more... That'd I mean, dereliction of duty on the path of the fucking judges. Absolutely, and what's more, the previous year, I genuinely cannot remember if I left it in or out of the edit when uh, I did the interview afterwards, but I spoke to God knows straight after his Sangana family won. And, like, you know, he kind of, he recognised that. He said, look, there are going to be people out there who are suggesting that we got this album for reasons other than the, or we got this award for reasons other than the album. Like, that's the bottom line, either because it's a different type of music or because we have different backgrounds or because we're a multi-ethnic group, whatever. And... You know, I felt it then and I feel it now as well that if you're judging that prize and if you're trying to give an album of the year award, that sort of chat really isn't helpful. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. 
anyway, it was interesting this year. It's always interesting, and I do like the fallout. And I, uh, I like Dead's piece because it was funny to read aloud in a pub. Uh, as I did before I went to see Paddy Hanna play in Whelan's, I chased my hangover oh, with yeah. another gig. And also, yeah, on the subject of the Choice Prize afterwards, I must say I, I loved the night. It's it was great. fucking awesome. And it was like that kind of weird industry thing of like, there was no fakeness, there was no social anxiety, everyone was in great form, it was full of really cool people. I fucking loved it, it was great. <laughs> Who was running the bar seeing as Colin wasn't there this year? Uh, well, everything was kind of taken care of fairly well, but right. like in terms of like, just like a general kind of night out, it felt like a really fun communal thing, yeah, so it was cool. Yeah, they the store this year, just <laughs> in case. The following night, as I went upstairs in Wheeling to see Paddy Hanna play a sold-out gig. Very enjoyable gig, even if the crowd was a bit loud, but I guess that happens at gigs now, lads. Mm, it does. And what's more, we will have Paddy Hanna in studio with us later on today. What? So, yeah. No We way. will. We really will. Okay. You so can, you can ask him all about that you've, gig yourself. You've guaranteed it, man. So, yeah, let's move into the news, guys. Let's indeed. Uh, 24 hours ago, we got the electric picnic lineup. That's 24 hours when this pod drops, by the way. It was just a couple of hours ago as we record. That's correct. I went along to the launch this morning, or I guess yesterday morning, now that you've thrown me with your weird uh, Christopher Nolan time chronology. It was actually a fortnight ago, Dave. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I watched Annihilation this week in which time moves strange in that movie, so I guess I'm all over the place. Oh. Uh, not great film, by the way, it's alright. So, uh, yes, I went to the uh, plant store where the fucking launch was held this morning, and uh, I was a bit tired from the night before, so I was kind of like not on my game, and I didn't realise I was going to have to get involved and do more stuff than I did, but let's get to the lineup. that's the most important thing. Your top three headliners for Electric Picnic 2018 are Kendrick Lamar, Massive Attack, and N.E.R.D. Let's start there, lads. What do you think? Well, I feel like immediately just them going, you know what, we, we're giving you Kendrick. Just don't complain. Don't say anything, <laughs> right? Here's Kendrick. It's a big act. Deal with it. So, yeah, actually, the reaction on Twitter has been very kind of, I don't know, amicable. This is a good lineup, blah, blah, blah. None of the kind of other nonsense we've seen elsewhere. And, yeah, it's strong. I mean, NERD and Massive Attack... I don't know if uh, it, they totally grip me, but there's plenty of s- stuff already on the lineup that's kind of intriguing me. And Kendrick, of course, is, you know, the biggest thing on the planet. A lot of the reaction has been extremely strong, yeah. And I've got to say, I'm not sure why. <laughs> I mean, like, obviously, yeah, Kendrick. Absolutely. Yeah, Kendrick is totally ju- just don't complain. Here's Kendrick. <laughs> yeah, and, and it should be said as well that, like, my own enthusiasm for that, for instance, is obviously going to be dull by the fact that I saw him last yes, month. Yes, yeah. Um, massive Attack, though. Like, presumably they keep Massive Attack's contact details in a little folder on the desktop with uh, Fatboy Slim and the Chemical Brothers. Uh, headlined, you know, headline ideas, lol. I spoke to Melvin Ben, the festival director at the launch, and he said that Massive Attack are one of his favourite bands. He said they have a lot of integrity in everything they do and they are perfect for Electric Picnic. And he mentioned specifically a headline set that they played at Ben Kasim, I guess, last year. That just blew his mind. So there you go. But, like, has he blown... Have they blown his mind the previous two times they've headlined Electric? <laughs> <laughs> in 06 good. and 2010. Or, indeed, when they played Longitude in 2013. Listen, I feel... Or, like, you know, it's just... I think if you write Unfinished Sympathy, you're allowed to just keep headlining everything ever. <laughs> I'm Angel, not, like, yeah. this is the thing, yeah. I'm saying this as a big Massive Attack fan, genuinely. But you're like, but, yeah, there's nothing new here for me. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And, like, a lot of this lineup looks like it could have been cut and pasted for two years ago. Like, most of them I've, I've seen on the festival circuit before, but, you know. They're also at this position where they don't even need the strongest lineup to just sell out. You, you know, know what? what? This is the big thing, like, yeah. and, and this is what can't be ignored, is the fact that, like, they're almost sold out this year. They were sold out before the announcement of the lineup last year. Like, without being overly cynical, you have to ask, why would they bother 
going the full nine yards and pushing Paying the boat the extra, out. Yeah, yeah when as well, yeah. they know that they're selling. I mean, there will be a year where they put the early bird tickets on sale and they're not snapped up immediately. That's going to be the really interesting one because yeah. that's going to be the year where they think, oh, we might actually need to pull it all out here. Well, it could be a lineup like this one that might lead to that. I must say, due to your turn of phrase, I'm, I'm almost annoyed now that they're not actually called Big Massive Attack. That'd be pretty good. Uh, Any or D for me is an underwhelming headliner because the last album was not really entertaining yeah. at all. I mean, oh, like, so again, speaking to Melvin Ben, he did say phase two of the acts, there's still some big names to come. Now, of course, he would say that, but who yeah. knows how big they will be. Now, uh, you guys will know, because I, I wrote this in the email the night, last night, I said, here are my three predictions for the headliners. Mm. And I got Kendrick right. Yeah. I didn't get, uh, I, I went with Lord and I went with Coldplay, but then yeah. I met a friend of mine for a drink and she said, well, obviously it's going to be Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, everyone seemed to And I was like, oh, well, that Monkeys. made the most sense because yeah. they're, they're doing every festival, yeah. they've got a new album coming and they haven't announced an Irish date. So to my surprise, neither Kendrick, or sorry, neither, neither Lord nor Arctic Monkeys were unveiled. I thought you would I get at least I guess they're going to be doing even, their own maybe Marty Park gig, he, like a solo one yeah, maybe in the summer. David Byrne I thought would have been another possibility. He might be That's another late edition kind of. That might be the edition. second way. Yeah. He might be in phase two yeah. for sure. Look, I mean, like let's go down through the rest of some of these. Dua Lipa, Ben Howard, St. Vincent, King Cruel, George Ezra, The Kooks. I mean, The Kooks <laughs> as your ninth name on, on the, the comeback bill. trail, mate. <laughs> that to me is bizarre. It is weird. It, it is, is weird. very odd. That stuck out like a sore, sore thumb to me. Yeah. Jungle, Wolf Alice, uh, Churches, Nina Kravis, Cigarettes After Sex, Friendly Fires, because I guess it's 2008. Mm-hmm. Garbage, Dermot Kennedy, of course, as Rise Continues, Benjamin Clementine, Sigrid, she's like a very much the next big thing. Jesse Ware, Mount Kimby, George Smith. The one that stuck out to me, though, and it's way down the list here, are the fucking Blaze. Blaze. Yeah, we're going to see what they look like the blaze are actually playing so <laughs> to look forward to um yeah look i mean I, I feel like festivals are just like they sell themselves anyway and i guess with picnic it was interesting because like they didn't do what everyone else did and they were like you know they've been so slow to give you a lineup they've had like three pushes for like here's the tickets yeah and now here's finally the lineup but i mean at the same time with people who are like it's crap it's ridiculous i'm like what do you want i mean like who's out there that realistically would fit and again not to keep fucking quoting from my own little chat with melvin men but like he did say and i thought this was a salient point he said the age range it's a broad age range that comes to this festival and we want to reflect that and i think he's genuine there's also um and he said like this was kind of a happy accident although of course they were looking at it as well the gender balance is quite good here and that's something that they're really committed to this year in particular like on the thursday the only thing that will be on for the first five thousand campers that go down will be an all-female comedy lineup so they are trying to do like he's part of that rebalance thing as well so it looks like picnic are trying to make positive moves in that direction i mean look i don't know i just i wasn't underwhelmed i wasn't overwhelmed i thought it was a strong start it's yeah it's fine it's It's what you'd expect yeah i think yeah I i think part of the reason why there's been quite so much happiness or quite so much positivity greeting it is um that after for instance longitude um, a lot of people who had tickets for Electric Picnic started to worry about what they might have signed up for. And now that it's been confirmed that, frankly, it is quite a standard Electric Picnic sort of affair, they're pretty relieved. Yeah. Elsewhere this week, uh, Julian Casablancas. Uh, what an interview. Uh, t- <laughs> talking, talking to David Marchese for Vulture and speaks a lot about popular music, uh, talks a lot about politics as well yeah. in, in a strange sort of an on and off sense. Um, the headlines of which, I suppose, are that he wants to live in a world where Ariel Pink is more popular than Ed Sheeran. As popular as Ed Sheeran. Well, oh, Sorry, as popular, but he believes he will be more popular in... 
like 30 or 40 years time right he thinks he'll Ariel Pink will be the one looked back upon this interview goes to such a degree where like he's like he, it's such a back and forth which I like by the way I must say I really like when an artist mm. has a real conversation with a journalist as opposed to waiting for the next soundbite and the next piece of PR information to give out yeah however the more this interview goes on and the more that uh, Julian Casablancas keeps challenging your man as I said on Twitter Julian Casablancas has now confirmed himself as the last guy you want to give the audio jack to at a party and it genuinely comes across like he's just read his first Russell Brand book because he's all like, oh, capitalism sucks, man. And it's like, yeah, capitalism does suck, but you get on with it and you like do your you fucking... You get on with it. You do your fucking... <laughs> no, you do your fucking best. You do your best in life and you buy nice things on occasion and you go to a festival and whatever it is you do. But ultimately, yeah, it sucks that we're all working for the man, but that's the way it goes. Now... I mean, he says stuff like, hey, I, I, like, why can't Ariel Pink be as big as Ed Sheeran? And David Marchez is like, uh, well, I mean, because Ed Sheeran's sound is a lot more marketable and palatable to the masses and like just your everyday person. And he was like, yeah, but why? And the Ram was like, he goes, he just, his, his sounds, the, the way his songs are written and how presentable he is, I suppose. And then uh, Casablanca is like, that sounds like 100% cultural brainwashing. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that he's done throughout this interview is he's managed to confuse taste with virtue, which is something that's done increasingly now, where it's like, you know, there's nothing of quality. Well, what's quality, Julian? Stuff, Stuff that I, I like. like. Yeah, there is a bit of that, all right. It's quite odd, uh, particularly for someone who, like, hit the first co- couple of Strokes albums, and in fact, all of the kind of Strokes material, it's very, like, here's your kind of golden pop melodies. You'd think he would be more of a fan of giving the people what they want. Um, obviously, with The Voids, um, his new band, which he kind of more or less says is his kind of soul passion now, he talks about, like, playing with The Strokes is almost his kind of, like, his, you know, big blockbuster film that he has to do to pay yeah. the bills. Um, and this is his, like, art house project that he's really into, The Voids. Um, and he's getting a bit more out there. But, yeah, there's a weird sense that he's... I don't know, he's kind of like trying to find himself a bit in his like late 30s and he's kind of grappling with big ideas and he's probably doing quite, a lot of reading. He and seemed quite dismissive of the strokes. And I mean, like, so I was reading this interview, right? And I was like, I can't wait to talk to Craig about this in particular because number one, he's quite dismissive of the strokes, which well, can't just sat well with you. And number two, more importantly, among the artists that he holds aloft so high are in fact the Doors, who you despise. Does he mention the doors? He mentions the doors yeah. quite a bit, Greg, and he's like, they're he's fantastic. Talking about Jim Morrison and really, yeah. I didn't even see that. Oh, I, I, it must have, you must have actually blocked it out because I was like, Craig, <laughs> yeah. I was like, Craig's gonna be so conflicted because he's he, he's big up Ariel Pink, who Craig likes, yes, but he's big up Jim Morrison, who Craig hates. So hold on, are you saying that like people have different opinions on music to me? <laughs> hey, don't you dodge this one, mate? Yeah. Uh, no, the Doors are horrendous, and I will like disagree completely. He also goes into like hating the Beatles. Yes, he, he does. Do- yeah. He doesn't necessarily say he hates the Beatles, but he kind of never quite loved their yeah, music. Yeah, he says he this is a separate thing. Yeah. He did a podcast with Rolling Stone, and he said. Uh, I have maybe that advantage that I didn't like or listen to the Beatles. Uh, you and me both, Julian. Uh, I feel like it's almost the branch of like 98% of stuff you hear, but then there's Velvet Underground. I know Lou Reed hated the Beatles. Yeah. Like, and again, for my own personal thing here, I don't hate the Beatles. I just think they're not the be all and end all. And I guess that's the point he was trying to make as well. Well, he, yeah, he was saying it's certainly an advantage if you don't have them as your influence because instantly you're kind of distinguishing yourself from a lot of the other people out there. Um, I agree with his Ariel Pink point. 
Um, I can kind of see what he's getting at with the cultural brainwashing in terms of just because you think something should be the norm doesn't like I mean doesn't necessarily have to be that way. But I think he's All way right, radical, Craig. I think he's <laughs> I I, de- I do you know what I think his kind of prophecy that in fifty years time Ariel Think is going to be seen as like you know the David Bowie of just generation is not going to come true. His Bowie yeah. thing was amazing. <laughs> as was like he he mentions Hendrix and he goes Hendrix was never popular and then the journalist is number like one. he goes Electric Ladyland was number one and he goes. Yeah, but I mean, like that was like a flash in the pan moment, and, and then he's like, he closed out Woodstock. <laughs> yeah, but I will say, yeah, and then he's on. like, oh, you're brainwashed, bro. No, yeah, in fairness, what, 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 closing... were, were you there, or have you just read that somewhere? Don't believe everything you read. And now, in fairness, closing Woodstock meant playing at like five in the morning. <laughs> it wasn't exactly the Saturday evening headline slot. He also <laughs> there's also a part where like, and I wonder what you guys thought of this. Where like, and to be fair, you know, your man's guilty of it, but I, I thought it was an interesting thing for Julian to seize on. So David Marchez at one point goes, I mean, do you think that like since the thing that happened in November, like culturally we're in a different place? And then like, say it. and then, yeah, the, yeah. And then yeah, Julian goes, I love it. He, yeah. Julian goes, he goes, you keep fucking like dancing around it. You keep calling it the incident. Just fucking say it. Yeah, that's great. And then your man's like, okay, since Trump got elected, like then, the Velveteen Dream standing over. <laughs> say, say his name. <laughs> say his name. Yeah, I love it. And like, it was that weird thing of like, he was like, there you go. You know, like man up, uh, live your truth. I think he said to him. Yeah. About at one point or something like along oh. those lines I okay let's be honest we would have loved to have been in this fucking conference oh my god oh, yeah 100% so, okay so okay a lot of people have said he's like that asshole that comes up to you and the workmen's at like 2 in the morning but hold on why is he an asshole because he's, he's just a- saying that he likes certain things and he wishes like I, neglected I thought, artists I thought I came I across think, yeah, like, I think it's the delusion that everyone else should like the same thing that's objectionable I think he's more frustrated and grappling with how such vanilla stuff like goes over the top. Like he doesn't I I know yeah the Ariel Pink thing is ridiculous but then he does make cases for songs that maybe just skirt around experimentation and actually have good quality that should be Do you not think that he strayed into the I'm you know in my final year of textiles at NCAD and Amber Leaf is you know (laughs) my favourite thing in the world like kind of person? Yeah I think so but I think that is more I don't know. Obviously, I'm biased because I, I love the bloke, but it came across more like wide-eyed, adorable naivety, and just being completely honest, as opposed to being a bit of a dick that's Go back forcing and read his those doors quotes. Great. <laughs> Listen, the doors have at least one song I like, so God bless them. We talked a couple of months ago about Spotify and uh, their rather bizarre genre listings, including famously Stomp and Holler. Yeah, man. Uh, now they want people to start actually getting involved with their metadata suggestions. Basically, that to have listeners describe the music in different ways, so that Spotify can understand, extend, and improve. This sounds like Skynet to me. No, do you know what it sounds like? It sounds like just fucking rotten tomatoes. This sounds oh, like this sounds like campaigns that are going to say, "Oh well, so and so uses a guitar that makes him indie, right?" Or just nonsensical stuff. Julian Casablancas has a fifty-four percent rating. It's also just stuff. Yeah, they're going to use for their like next big ad campaign because they did that great thing where they mined all the data and it was like actually good. They had billboards up where it was just like such and such listen to a Christmas playlist in June. Blah blah blah. You know, like, you know funny. what you were listening to last week. A friend of the show, Zara Hedeman, pointed this out to me. She pointed out to me that you were listening to this artist at the start of the day and also several hours later. Enya. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Do you know why? Talk because to me. talk to me. Because, Dave, I saw it used in a very, very good Volvo ad, and it was actually research. And Enya actually, do you know what? When was the oh, last she's time, got some tunes. When was the last time you listened to Enya? 
Couple, ah. couple times for the revisit, which, by the way, listeners, I swear is coming back. Somebody brought up Arnoka Flow a couple of months ago, and so I ended up listening for the rest of the night. But good stuff, guys. It's not awful. Great tune. Yeah. Great tune. Yeah. She has her moments. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She has her moments, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spotify's gone public as well, so I guess this is part of the whole, you know... Oh, yeah. Front-facing thing. We are the people, yeah. And um, they've opened up, like, a kind of an editor to desktop users um, to actually sort of suggest their edits to this. Uh, will we be getting involved? No. <sighs> no. So, no. I, I find it very no. confusing. So, so many, many errors in the day. Really. Know, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally just let difficult. me listen to Enya. That's however, all I want. <laughs> however, if they did, you know, go all in and manage to, like, go really kind of creative with it, and they were like, which band or artist <laughs> is the toughest, or the hardest, rather, we would discover that, in fact... Um, Radiohead. Henry Rollins, isn't it? Well, of course it's Henry Rollins. <laughs> yeah. Radiohead guitarist Johnny Greenwood has voiced his opinion about which member of his band is the hardest. Can, can we just call this le- least soft? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. I mean, in fairness, Johnny does say, it's not a very strong field. <laughs> <laughs> he was answering fan questions in The Guardian, and I actually love when kind of publications do these things. It's cool. fans yeah, yeah, always yeah. come up with us, and there's it, a it kind of excuse great. to be like, it's not me asking this, you know. Yeah. Um, so he says, yeah, it's not the str- a very strong field. Having said that, Ed had boxing training. He was sparring with the head of, of our concert security on the last tour. So he's probably quite tasty. Tasty, yeah. <laughs> and he said, but he's also like the most passive and pacific of all of us. I reckon Phil Selway would be pretty handy. If big, he had- <laughs> big Phil Selway. <laughs> he goes, don't push him. The rest of us are not a threat. Now, interestingly, he was doing a Q&A because he was discussing... Uh, his work on Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread and also he released his soundtrack for the new Lynn Ramsey Walking Phoenix film You Were Never Really Here which Dahi and I went to see Mandate last week on a mandate right and it really was like a mandate it was like a first date because at the end of the film the film was so fucking unrelentingly grim and depressing and miserable that by the very end of it he and I had no idea what to say to each other, and then we just went our separate ways into the night, and it was like... Were they weird... saying goodbye? Oh, we said goodbye and we hugged, but it was that kind of like... Did you get un... his number? It was on the understanding that, you know, like, <laughs> I'm never going to hear from him again. Yeah. Uh, the film, by the way, you were never really here. I mean, I don't know if it was good or bad, to be honest with you. I mean, it's incredibly... <laughs> really? It's, it, no, it's technically fantastic how it's made. Yeah, but no, like, I've, I've heard it's a bit of a mind. But fuck. Jesus fucking Christ, it was tough, man. It's a tough film. Yeah. Walking Phoenix is exceptional in it. The sound design and the score are actually phenomenal. And Lynn Ramsey is an amazing filmmaker. I think she's a really muscular filmmaker who, you know, like chooses very interesting projects, very dark projects. It's your classic, you know, um, troubled man wreaking uh, re- revenge and redemption, I guess, over evil people. But it's, I mean, it's, it's arguably as repugnant as it is, like, impressive. <laughs> That's it's, bad. It's just a really tough fucking film. And I couldn't find, I couldn't detect any hope in it whatsoever. To the point where by the end of it, I was like, Jesus. I felt like I was beaten up. Jesus. And then when I walked home... That's the spirit, isn't it? In the fucking night, like, I felt really uneasy. So, and I guess that's, you know, impressive filmmaking can, speaks to that. Can, I, can like, I confess, right? Obviously, I haven't gone to see it yet. I've read about it, and I'm very interested to see it. Yeah, okay. I assumed it was a sequel to I'm Still Here. Hey, no, it's not. Yeah, uh, it's but I guess, very different, but, no, but, but now that you've put that in my head, I suppose it makes a certain kind of sense. Yeah. It's a spiritual sequel, yeah. It um, is. So you're saying it shouldn't be my one trip to cinema this year? It's not, and I'd like to... Uh, change the mood by you know playing a tune because I feel like I've kind of gone down this dark rabbit hole so uh, I went to the Paddy Hannah gig let's have a listen to him this is off his new album the album's called Frankly I Mutate he was our exit music recently let's have a blast of that everybody's smiling 
mentioned his gig earlier on. We wondered if he'd ever come into the studio for a chat. And as it happens, lads, Paddy Hanna's here. Hey! All right, what's going on? Give it up. I hope that wasn't too loud because Paddy's brought a guest with him. Well, I mean, it wasn't her call. You know, I I bought my little dog with me just because... Um, you know, I'm doing a show in Berlin and I, I can't bring her with me. So she's staying with uh, her doggy sitting friends for a couple of days. Okay. And how does she feel about that? Oh, she loves it. She gets to hang out with her legitimate dog parents. Does that make <laughs> her, her actual... Oh, her actual parents. Her actual, like, the dog parents. Yeah. So she'll be doing that. She's good mates with her, her dog dad. They're kind of like thick as thieves, those two, you know, so... Oh, she'll have a blast, you know. You know, when I get off the Dart or the Lewis, rather, at Still Oregon, I mean, she she drags me there. It's like a chariot, you know. She loves that place. She's very excited to hang out with her dog parents, you know, for a couple of days. I mean, I mean, we technically have another, like, musician in the studio as well, because isn't Copy on the album? Copy is a vocalist. Yes. Okay. did she did vocals on the first track of the album. We we <laughs> this is how pretentious we are. We uh, the first idea was like we'd like to have a, the sound of an old locomotive, an old steam train. And Cuppy does an amazing old steam train. We felt you know since we can't get a good steam train sound, we'll get a dog to howl, and yeah. not just any dog, little Cuppy. So um, <laughs> she did a good job. She was very, she loved that studio as well. And hasn't got stroppy about her percentages at any point. Ah, you know, she, that day will come. You know, I'm kind of like Macaulay <laughs> Culkin's parents at the moment, you know, just fu- uh, s- spending all the money on Botox, you know, and then she's going to grow up and be like, where's my goddamn money? You know? <laughs> this is a first for no encore that we've never had a dog in the studio. Yeah. So I'm very happy. And, I, I uh, feel like it should become a weekly thing, to be quite honest. We'll see what we can do. Bring in your cats, maybe, Greg. Yeah, yeah, that'll go well. <laughs> so the album in question, the one that we're talking about, is Frankly, I Mutate by That's Paddy Hanna. And frankly, Paddy, it's pretty good, man. Thank yes. you, Dave. Good I job. I also love the title. It's like a kind of Morrissey mixed with Misfits kind of title. It's great. Well, that's I. You know what? That's 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 a very nice uh, combination there. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I I don't really think about wit, what a, witticisms or trying to be smart or anything. I just you know that was the title. Yeah. You know? There was a song on the album which is the last one called "Frankly I Mutate," and I thought that seems like a good idea for a title. <laughs> and then we made it the title and then people kept saying, oh, you should put a comma after the frankly because it's like, frankly, I mutate and I'm dyslexic. So, I mean, they might as well have been talking German to me uh, in terms of spelling and stuff and yeah. grammatical things. So I just said, yeah, fair enough. I won't lie. I I did. That was my like, initial, like, what the fuck? Because we've had this problem before with our good friend Dahi and Mary Keane's introduction not having a possessive apostrophe. Yes. Which really upsets me. But speaking of Dahi, uh, myself and him took a road trip recently. And during that road trip, I read aloud your uh, Stereo Gum piece. Oh, yeah? Written by Ryan Lees. Oh, he that's was great. He yeah, for yeah. Hardworking Class Heroes, and I guess he stuck around. And oh. he took a shining to you, didn't he? I gave him an earful, that's for sure. <laughs> um, uh, I mean... Um, we we hung out. Um, I think it was before the festival started. They had this little whining dining uh, affair where uh, you know the the intention, I suppose, was that the artists would meet the industry folk. And myself and Ryan hit it off. We wound up sort of getting kicked out of the hacienda at about one a.m. Then I woke up at around uh, eight o'clock on someone's couch, and then I had to go off and do sort of industry 
chatty to folky things at 10 a.m. So I turned up like stinking, wearing the same clothes. And um, the idea was they had these like round table-y things where you'd talk to folk for five minutes and then they'd boot you on to the next person. Uh, speed sessions, kind of like speed dating. Oh. So they'd have that with the bands. And, I, uh, you know, I was completely hung over. And uh, all I did was tell the truth to people. I said, look, I woke up on a couch this morning. <laughs> I've, I've lost friendships. I've... Uh, <laughs> I've compromised relationships for the sake of music, you know. Just pity just this me. morning. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, pity me for God's sake. And it actually kind of worked. It was that whole Seinfeld thing, you know, where George does the opposite of what he would normally do, and yeah, and gets like all the perks of life, you know. So, uh, yeah, basically that kind of crude, crass honesty sort of paid off. Um, and uh, yeah, so Ryan was obviously curious, and we sat down. He he was just by chance actually. He had to go over and cover something like Icelandic airwaves, and he had a layover in Dublin. And he just said, "You know what? I'll I'll, I'll interview you." So it was all very lucky, I think. You end up at a wedding, yes, that you were playing at. He wasn't aware of this. It's your classic journalism situation where it's like it's it's a hell of a narrative, and then by the end of it, it's like you know, it, like I can't remember the how it concludes, but it like it concludes with a really writery thing. And I was like, "Oh, I love it, but I I'd probably do it myself." Uh, like, I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> the whole wedding thing. Yeah, I, I, I'd never played a wedding under my own guise. I'd sang at weddings, you know, uh, of friends. I've given, I did my, th- I, I was best man at my brother's wedding. And, oh boy, the speech. I, I Kaboom is all I could say there, you know. <laughs> Evidently, if you're going to do a best man speech uh, or any form of speech, um, leave the in-jokes out because yeah. most people there don't get them. Uh, immediately, you're isolating 50% of the room. And then the other f- 50%, you know, you're easily confusing about 80% of that 50%, you know. So it was a total disaster. But this one, yeah, it was, I mean, it was some folks whom I haven't met, one of one of whom I think it was one of the one of his best mates or something it was, it was a, a fan and somehow I I was the guy who played and yeah they, it was a really lovely night but um, I mean I was I've never been so nervous in all my life playing weddings is tough well but, Cullum's getting married twice so <laughs> I mean we're going to need some form of entertainment for at least one of those shindigs yeah. oh I see um, well I mean l- look you know if we can work up to it yeah, <laughs> if the price is right we'll talk you know. <laughs> Let's get back yeah. to the record. And I mean, you mentioned there in terms of that meet and greet that, you know, crude honesty paid off. Yeah. Do, do moments like that sort of occasionally inform your songwriting where you think, actually, you know what, maybe just putting it all out there might be the best solution here? Because it is quite a quite a, quite an honest album. Yes. Whenever I try to think, though, about, you know, oh, this is going to be my anti this song or my yeah, I'm I don't like this kind of song they always stink you know so <laughs> so I'll just say what's on my mind and um however that may be construed you know I I, I have people sort of analyzing lyrics not all the time mind you but coming up with these theories and I'm like Woof. pull the wool over my eyes there on that one champ I mean yeah <laughs> I don't I don't think are uh, like songwriters should dwell on what they write too much, you know? Uh, that's just my personal opinion. I mean, but then again, I mean, I often I have a lot of 
opinions and I, I can tell you living with these opinions large amount of the time they're utter boo hickey you know so so I mean hopefully every once in a while you got an opinion that makes some degree of sense you know how do you feel about like journalists and critics pouring over your work and either maybe getting it wrong or having their own a different interpretation to what you intended well I mean I, I the reason we're sitting here now is because I got a bad review that's the, the the reality of it. When I was, was in, it by one of us, did we? Oh, <laughs> uh, you never know. But I, I, it's like one of those. Th- you know, the whole. You know, the, a scientist was discussing this, and then another scientist came in, disproved the theory, and the scientist who was disproved shook the person's hand, saying, "Congratulations, you've enlightened me." It was that whole thing. I, I released a, as with Grand Pocket Orchestra, we released an EP called the Community Games. Uh, which was a, a a co-release with three other bands, and I liked the songs, but the way I went, uh, the way they turned out, I was just I felt really, really bad about it because they just did not turn out correctly. And a reviewer pointed that out and said it wasn't great, and that that was kind of my moment where I realized I I need to uh, maybe uh, do something a little different. So uh, if it weren't for a bad review, I, won't, I don't believe we would be sitting here. So I think journalism is hugely important, especially if they hit the nail on the head, you know. Sometimes you can be an, an embittered swine, but I mean, that's e- that can be easy to dust off depending on how cruel or not they are, you know. There's an awkward silence in the room after that, isn't there? <laughs> well, I've been I've been accused of such things before, but I, I, like, I like to think that I... I think uh, that was his actual Twitter bio for a while. It was, um, yeah, contrarian, like bitter and then some, all these things. But, but Ireland's so small, it's the whole... And Dublin's yeah. even smaller than the it's small like a fucking t- village. Yeah, I mean, the, the small town mentality of you might throw a band under the bus and then the next day, you know, you get the knock on the door because they live three doors down from you, you know? <laughs> I, you, you, like the the late lamented state dot uh, ie, for those who don't know, state dot ie was a, a music website. I mean, they were known for occasionally writing uh, very sort of low scoring reviews for a, a certain Irish bands, and you like it was like. Um, the responses to the reviews were insane. People would be saying like, yeah, we all need to gang up and find out where this person lives and <laughs> try and attack them and stuff. It, it, it was hilarious at the time. And yeah, I mean, Irish, the average Irish music fan's relationship with journalism is an interesting one. Uh, I, for one, think it's important. Um, what do you guys reckon? Come on, I'm throwing it Well, there's three music journalists. Yeah, I th- <laughs> we have to put some value in what we do, don't we? I mean, it must be said, I suppose, that there are, you know, kind of like different things to consider in terms of, like, especially now in terms of like, you know, do we try to stand out from a crowd here? Is there a greater point that we're trying to make along the way? You know, honest journalism and something with, you know, a level of conviction is one thing. Yeah. But... You know, it's a business like any other. It's and also a craft. I think that's though. often what kind of. But it's also it like, like it's also a craft. I mean, like I, I do believe that criticism is an art form, and I think that mm-hmm. you know you can spot people who don't see it that way. It's like much like hearing a bad song or hearing a bad album or seeing a bad movie. You're always going to people in your field who are good and are great and are not so good and not so great, and you can spot them a mile away. I mean, like I think that, like. I don't know, like, I don't always get it right. I mean, like, 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 you often get it wrong. But, I mean, ultimately, I think if you put the work in, spend time with what you're reviewing, if it's an album, spend a couple of weeks with it, put out your own subtext, and I've said before, I'm, I'm all about subtext, but, like, 
you can always stand open to interpretation, but I think, you know, you can get your licks in if it's bad, but I think, you know, like, if you cross the line into kind of, like, personal territory, well, then that's being right. a, bad, a bad journalist. Yeah. But. There's also, I mean, uh, there are a fair few albums I love that I listen to because they got bad reviews, and I'm <laughs> like, well, this must be a stinker, let's give it a go, and I'm like, this is great, what was that? Um, and then, you know, I would, you know, be suspicious of that critic then, you know, uh, uh, certainly in, in the case of many films I've seen and I, I can think of a couple of records that got pasted but I really liked which ones? Uh, for me most famously would be Lamb Chop's album Is A Woman the one that they released after Nixon got a lot of bad like two star average Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that as well at the time just being this weird kind of backlash thing which didn't make sense yeah because it was the follow up album to their big monster yeah hit album Nixon and f- folks were not kind about it they described it as sounding like sort of like two mice under a floorboard squeaking at each other uh, and <laughs> which sounds amazing <laughs> yeah and another one that said it, it sounded like you know a, a lazy folk band playing whilst my bloody Valentine rehearsed in the other room you know that and it was it, it was again <laughs> yeah again uh, like you hear that and you're like two stars is that that's a bit cruel but I mean I listen to it and it's like one of my favourite albums, you know, so, you know, critics can get things wrong, you know, and their word is not gospel, but that's part of it for me, you know. In that respect, then, when you see positive reaction to your work as this latest album has garnered, does it register? Does it mean much? It means the hate is coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm building up to some nasty hate. That's what I mean. That's the, isn't that the nature of progress that folks start to get a bit cruel and nasty? So you feel like the tide's just gone out and there's a tidal wave coming for you? Well, I just this think like this time last year I was just a bum, you know. And, and like folks are, were never going to throw shade at me because they're like, "Well, he's poor guy," you know. Yeah, he's but now you know there's a bit of momentum, so folks are. I think there's some knives in the. They're not being sharpened just yet, but they're in the cupboard. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There's some blunt knives, and they've got like the little sharp that zzz sharpening device where like the you know the sparks fly off. I feel like if you wear sunglasses in your press photos, you know, like you're <laughs> you're asking you're for asking it. for it, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, like they're going to come for you. Can I make a point though? I don't use eye contact, so sunglasses help. That, 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 that's that's my justification of it but I suppose I can't walk around with a t-shirt saying I don't use eye contact so don't make fun of me for the goddamn sunglasses <laughs> yeah. also, you know also they have UV filters and I don't want you know I don't want my precious, I, my lovely eyes getting ruined by the sun you know? I've always felt there was a strong case to be made for sunglasses inside and after dark as right. who did oh, that song no. I can't even remember but it's a great song well I would blame I blame a band like The Stripes for making it uncool before Paddy came along and made it a little bit more acceptable <laughs> to rock them you know? it comes and goes the pendulum swings <laughs> on sunglasses inside but you, you would kind of make a good point it's probably if you get to a point where you actually have haters you're probably doing something right it's better than being completely uncared about it's either that or, or if, it's either that or if Noel Gallagher doesn't like you. I think those are like the <laughs> two criterias. You know, if he says you're you're crap, it's normally a good sign. Uh, and then he famously every band he would you know say was great would always sort of be gone. The next yeah, week. you know, he had a bad rap for that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, who knows? So Friday night in Wheelands, you're up on stage and you're quite the performer. It feels quite theatrical. How much of that is a natural flourish or like what's your kind of do you go into a persona on stage? It, run, it just runs in the family. My my father is a is was a classical performer, and uh, I watched him do sort of various Gilbert and Sullivan um, uh, performances growing up. And he, you know, he's always you know he is 
you know, he is a, a, a fan of the theatrical and the, the high camp, you know. He would walk around the house saying, Patrick, you know, your food is ready and stuff like that, you know. And, uh, I, you know, osmosis, I guess. Um, I, I sat on that for a long time, though. I, 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 I avoided that kind of that theatricality for at least the first two thirds of my music career. Perhaps that was my rebellion. Where I don't want to be that guy. I want to be punk rock anarchist guy. But then I realized all oh, that sort of business. Well, it's, it's the the camp business. It's part of me, you know. So why why hide from it? And it's uh, my brother as well. Uh, Leo is also you know he's uh, studying uh, theater and musical theater. So it's yeah. I mean, we're, um, if you were to walk around the Hanna household, you would the Hanna family household. You would you would. Uh, you can see sort of the theatrical, like there's like canes and top hats everywhere. And it's, <laughs> Is that an invite? Because we'll totally do it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Happy to have a poke around. I'll like. give you the keys and you can just let yourself in. <laughs> Please do. I guess the theatrical thing will also extend to your love of wrestling because you did refer to yourself in the Whelan's gig as the Virgil of the Irish music scene. The perennial jobber, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, my brother Leo, uh, you know, he he's... I think we were all like big wrestling fans. Um, he more so like he follows wrestling currently and and like all the various sort of fan podcasts and stuff like that. But I, I tapped out after a while. Tapped out. Um, but I was you know I, I was the guy who would order ECW DVDs from the states to watch sort of November to remember and barely legal ninety seven and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> and of course it was always so exciting because you'd only you'd have the wrestling. Wow, World of Wrestling magazines and stuff, and um, you know they'd have like the top ten ECW wrestlers at the moment, and you'd be like, "Ooh, Rhino is at number five. <laughs> <laughs> He's moving up," you know, and 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 then you'd see like, "Oh, Sandman's still at number one. Will he ever change?" You know, so stuff like that. Um, I think you know, with many wrestling fans, I suppose it got homogenized, didn't it? It was. Vince McMahon bought everything out and now it's way too family friendly and they all wear like River Island suits and talk about how they can dissolve this situation in an amicable way, you know? <laughs> Whereas back in the day it was they were like running people over in limos and blowing things up and General attempted murder. Yeah, you'd yeah, love was, Braun Strowman if you want to check back in because attempted murder is his thing right now. That's his gimmick, and he's a good guy. Yeah, he's flipping ambulances and flipping like, ambulances. Yeah, throwing people off stages and I mean, smashing me, someone with a double bass, which he did a couple of weeks yeah. ago. For me, it is it, these days. Uh, what I love about wrestling these days is is the behind the scenes sort of stuff the the what are known as the receipts you know where mm. wrestlers like new jack who will be wrestling to five people in 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 sort of a basketball stadium in some backwards town will literally try to kill someone because he <laughs> he he said something rude to him 10 years ago or something like that it, it these kind of stories are, are very very um funny to me if know, this was missing from the music industry really People trying to kill each other, especially you know things that have happened ten years ago. I feel it could really add some needle to the scene. Sure, yeah. I'm a, I, I'm an, uh, I, I do not forget. That's one thing. <laughs> a lot of grudges. If, if someone is a naughty Nelly to me, I will not forget. Okay, well look, listen. It wasn't ten years ago, but before you go, before we let you go today, I must do something because I interviewed you for Hot Press magazine when I was a young buck in there as part of Grand Pocket Orchestra. On the way up. Interviewed yeah. you in the Exchequer and I recall it being one of the funniest interviews I've ever done. 
done. Uh, it was full of tangents, and we mostly talked about action movies and stuff. And we talked about action movie names in particular, like character names, and kind of how ridiculous they can be. Yeah. So I've prepared oh, no. a quiz. I have ten names, <laughs> right, from action movies throughout the years. And if you can tell me the actor and the film, you get a point for each. So it's the name of the fictional character. I'll give you the name of the fictional character. You have to tell me who portrayed the fictional character and in what film. All right. So how do you think you're going to do? Uh, I'll be I'll be modest and say I'm going to do five out of ten. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with one that you quoted at me that day. Okay. So Gibson Rickenbacker. Oh, Gibson Rickenbacker was... I remember that joking about that because it was... Was it a was it a Van Damme? It is a Van Damme. <laughs> was it Cyborg? It was. Yes, that's nice. two points. Well done. Up next, Chance Boudreaux. Chance Boudreaux. Chance Boudreaux. Because my mother took a chance. Okay. Oh my God, that's awful. Is that oh set, um, in, set in New Orleans? This one. Of course. Oh my God, what is set in New Orleans? Chance Boudreaux. Uh, nothing New Orleans or Nolans is coming to the mind. I have to say. Um, Struggled with the accent. I will admit. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, it's not ringing a bell. Damn. No, time up. It's Jean-Claude Van Damme again. <laughs> oh if in, these are all Jean-Claude Van Damme. Hard Damme. Target. Oh, that's the one where he drops the grenade down Lance Henriksen's pants. Yeah, it is. Uh, up next, John Matrix. Oh, my God. John Matrix. <laughs> oh. Classic 80s. Keanu Reeves? No, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger in... Oh, don't... Oh, The Running Man? Commando. Oh, oh, you need to recover here, mate. Um, Up next, Simon Phoenix. Oh, Simon? Uh, Simon <laughs> Says. Yeah. So, so, oh, that, so that was um, the Wesley Snipes yes. in Demolition. Correct. Up next, Corbin Dallas. Corbin Dallas. Well, I saw it, I think, three times in the cinema. It is, of course, Bruce Willis <laughs> in The Fifth Element. This is an impressive turnaround, guys. He's getting back into this. Yeah. Right. At number six, Lee Christmas. Flip. Uh, wait, oh, I'm just thinking, Lee Christmas. Can I get a decade? Uh, 2010s, right. I think. All right, Lee Christmas in the 2010s. Oh, it's not necessarily my strong area. Oh, I'm going to pass. Jason Statham in yeah. The Expendables. Oh, that was terrible. That's when I, yeah, it wasn't great. And when I went to see that, when I left the cinema, some random bloke who I never met before tapped me on the shoulder as we were leaving the cinema and went, it was great, wasn't it? You know, <laughs> you know, what, was, you know what was Did bad you put him in your place? No, I said, it was, because I was like, I, yeah, I figured like, his, his wife and kids at home, this yes, was a big yeah. day out, I didn't want to take it away from him. Sorry. So they got everyone from the 80s to be in their action movie, but then they did nothing 80s. It had this awful, you're going to get knocked out soundtrack, <laughs> and it was all shot like it was like, like a really hard modern thing. They didn't do anything 80s. It was just a bunch of sad old men. Yeah. You know? It was gross. Okay, there's four to go. Marion Cabretti. Oh, well, that's Cobra. It is Cobra. That's Sly Stallone. That's Speak of the devil. Yeah. Cobra Cabretti. <laughs> um, Jonathan Cold. Ooh. Oh, In God, two films. Both straight to DVD. Oh. In the mid-2000s. Oh, crud. This is my weak area. Jonathan Cole. Well, if it's straight to DVD and it's the mid-2000s, it, was it Steven Seagal? It was Steven Seagal. Okay. You're never going to get the name of the films. Uh, was it the vampire one he did? Where he- <laughs> no, it wasn't that one. <laughs> where like, all the, like, he was so overweight they could only do close-ups of his eyes pretty much the whole time. No, it was uh, Very The Foreigner, and them. then he reprised the role of Jonathan Cold in Black Dawn. All right. Two to go. Okay. Two to go. Number nine, Dan Payne. 
Well, that's a bit vague, isn't it? <laughs> P-A-I-N-E. Dan Payne. Expecting a Y there, but... Yeah. Okay. Can, may I have the decade as I well? think Y uh, is what we're tens, all expecting. Tens, in the yeah. Why are you pulling the tens ones out on you? Because it's a tough list to compile, mate. Dan Payne. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll give you a clue. Okay. Played by a wrestler in a film we've already named. Oh, in a film we've already named? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, was it Goldberg? Nope. No, I was thinking Universal Soldier 2, but we didn't actually name that film. Brilliant. Way to go. It was... One more guess? Uh, oh, okay. Oh, was it the awful Seagal film? No, it was Stone Cold Steve Austin. In oh, the, the Expendables. In the Expendables. Did I mention I hated that film? It's not great. <laughs> and finally, Storm Rothschild. Well, you don't want to mess with Storm Rothschild, that's for don't. sure. Oh, no. Decade once more, please. I think it was in the last few years. Oh, give me a gosh darn break. <laughs> Too modern day, I feel. All right, is it fucking... Jason Statham again. It's Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> <laughs> was it Legionnaire? Welcome to the jungle. I only I only saw his um, Volvo ad recently. It's amazing. I haven't seen it. How did he do, guys? Oh, so uh, depending on your scoring, 4.5 I, I, out of 10, well, I guess. I was, I was right so, to lowball it. Can I point out just one last thing about Van Damme? Was in all his movies, they have to explain his accent. <laughs> so, like, you know, he's like, he's got his American friends or uncle, and he's like, You were always a troubled child. That's why we sent you to that French boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. I love how in Arnie movies, they never explain it. Like, Jingle All the Way. He's as American as a guest. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, who's the California governor? <laughs> Bodybuilding freak. Like, like, there were millions of Californians were just like, Yep, checks out. Yeah. Legit, I'm voting for that bloke. Well, he's always an average Joe as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. always got like a real kind of like American name, like, you know, Bob and stuff like this, or Harry. And <laughs> John stuff. Matrix, for John example. Ma- yeah, or with more like they never show him going to the gym. How does he possibly <laughs> have this always that rip, without, yeah. without a constant bodybuilding effort here? Well, he will always do something that sort of proves his strength at one point. He'll put, He'll lift the door off a car or he'll push a car over or something and you go oh he's strong I get it I wouldn't have known if you hadn't done that thanks for illustrating that and on that note we will say goodbye to Paddy Hannah but what you got upcoming because I know you're playing Castle Palooza this year um, I th- which ones have been a nice Castle Palooza um, Body and Soul um, they're uh, knocking stocking uh, there are other ones they haven't been in announced yet so zippity do so if you go to like what is it like paddyhanna.net slash live I'm too lazy for that it's just <laughs> Facebook it or, or, you know I Google my name uh, it's the first one that comes up mercifully there's like no murderer by that name or some sort of someone who's involved in a Ponzi scheme or something like that it, it's just myself for the time being thank god Good. oh and a box drummer from Belfast has the oh, same name we're not well. fond of box drummers on no one no Dahi will take him out if you just yeah, give him a little more information you'll be good I'll, I'll, I'll happily assist <laughs> until then Paddy Hannah thank you very much no, right. and Copy and Copy the awesome oh, dog who was very very well behaved she's very sweet yes so, yeah, that was Paddy Hanna once again and his awesome dog. Pretty cool. Enjoyed that. Did we enjoy our album of the week this week, guys? That's the question. The album is Young Fathers. It's called Coco Sugar. This song is called Toy, and it sounds like this. My bottom is a killer For me to see the dealer Now you're dead You played your debt You're playing dead There's no respect Now I'll make you shudder I wonder if you ever think of me 
watching from the cupboard You think I'm narcissistic, but if he's in the picture Then I'll just be in the kitchen making tea Do we agree on everything we discuss? Remember when we third album from Scottish Mercury Prize winning famously dour in that post-match photo uh, I don't even know how to genre describe this band but no. yeah I it's weird okay so Cullum used a word recently talking about something and I brought it with me it's kind of stayed in my head and it stayed in my head in the night of the choice prize as well because at one point I mean like in, in, like you know we'd go around the room and Tony Caitlin Lee the choice chairman would ask you questions based on what you just said kind of like a prosecuting attorney and I really enjoyed the process it was very interesting and I was talking about one of the albums quite early on and I was saying how, you know, you live in this time of music and there's just so much happening that you're like, okay, I mean, like, you can get lost and some you might not listen to something as long as maybe you should, but there's just so much to consume. And I found that, like, if an al- I don't need all music to do this and I don't expect it to ever because it just wouldn't be possible. But, like, if an album really gets to me on a physical, visceral level, a yeah. gut level, a transportative level where I'm, I'm brought somewhere with it and it has a lasting effect on me, and that's for me you know and Tony was like do you like is that like how you think music should be and I was like well I was like you know having grown up with it and where I'm at now and as a music journalist and as a broadcaster um, if it does that then I guess that really is like the thing for me and the word to sum all that up a word that you used about the blaze recently is the word is vital and I think Young Fathers are vital. I think this album is vital. I think this band are vital. I think what they do is important and interesting and daring and different. And it's its own unique thing. There's no one really like them. We talked about In My View on the pod a while ago on the Songs of the Week. And you guys weren't as keen as I was. And we were kind of like, oh, it's a bit like lightweight and whatever. The more I listen to that song, the more I'm like, holy fuck, this song is not lightweight at all. This song has got deep, dark themes running through it. The whole album has deep, dark themes running through it. And... Yeah, I, I I would find it very hard to categorize this record, but I guess that's the point. Um, I was absolutely blown away by this album. It like th- that single. I think it was in my view, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, and I, I mean, I mean, it is sonically speaking, at least, like not not as aggressive as what we were used to hearing them saying. Call it subdued, call it subtle, whatever you want. But it, it makes sense that three albums in Young Fathers would feel both an ability to do that, and they've said themselves a kind of a need to do that. They said they got a little bored, they wanted to change things up, fine. And the fact that they've got an audience and they've got a level in terms of their status and in terms of their respect, especially throughout the industry, that people will listen to them regardless of whether they kind of grab them by the lapels and shake them or not, they can afford to do that. It is still very powerful they are willing to let you read between the lines. And again, I think this is something that with two albums of experience we can do with this band. We know what they're like. We know their approximate way of approaching things, even if they haven't done it as as openly or as, as intentionally and as clearly as they have done in the past. I think this is a phenomenal record. I think this is definitely the best thing I've heard this year. Yeah, me too. And yeah. Everybody should hear whether they will or not. We'll come back to you in a minute, but this is great. They've talked about this record being them trying to sound normal, um, <laughs> and and chaos. So in the, the same breath, saying that ca- would never chaos happen. from the band saying actually they figured out pretty quickly that was Mission Impossible and they needed to get uncomfortable. And I think at times this can be an uncomfortable listen, but it's almost like a kind of like a safe voyeurism where you're looking at kind of quite dark stuff at times and it can be a bit of a kind of hellacious trip but there is actually the remnants of that kind of more 
I don't know, pop orientated or more kind of formulaic in the sense of it having a proper form and hitting certain markers that actually act as a track to kind of guide you along and really make the whole thing very listenable as much as it kind of challenges you. Um, and it's a it's an album really about kind of like dualities, really. It's like, you know, everything has a dark side. I think that really works with, as we're talking about in my view, um, it takes on a total kind of new life for me in the context of what's around it. It ushers in a little light while still having that foreboding thing. And I think actually the album needs that burst of light um, because for much of it, it is like the band are kind of like, you know, lifting up rocks and looking at what's underneath. And what they're finding is a lot of kind of creepy crawlies and you're hearing that in the sound and the layers and what they're doing rhythmically is is incredible, first of all. Because so often, I mean, again, this is so hard to categorize. It's not hip-hop. But so often we're talking about kind of new hip-hop songs and that trap thing of just... So often I'm getting bored by 808's very kind of obvious beats, flourishes that shouldn't be there. Rhythmically, everything is, as Dave said, vital here. Um, It's kind of... It's considered spontaneity. It's a lot of kind of ingenious uses of vocal samples for kind of rhythm. It's kind of disembodied voices being kind of dehumanized and used in kind of horrific ways, but to drive the rhythm and the melodies of it. And on top of it, quite poppy moments. So you get that weird duality and it's, um, yeah, I agree, guys. It's very, very on good. On the poppy moments aspect of things, by the way, mm-hmm. I mean, like a track like Border Girl. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man. If Justin Timberlake of 2018 listened to the song, he wouldn't have a fucking clue what was going on. And yet, <laughs> that's what we kind of thought maybe someday he would achieve. And for them, it doesn't necessarily feel throwaway. Yeah. But the mechanics, the machinations, the rhythmic movements of it, yeah. it's a fucking pop song. Well, that's it's a they, dark pop song. That's what they said they were playing with. And, it, like, it, you know, it makes sense. Like, they said they wanted to feel uncomfortable. They said they wanted to change it up. And it makes sense that a band that was just sort of resolutely inventive and just non-stop in terms of their kind of like innovation, their genre hopping and so on and so forth. Well, what would the obvious kind of, you know, other path be? Well, let's go really, really linear, really structured, approachable, accessible pop music. And parts of that hang around here. There are some hooks uh, throughout this album. And when they land, you're like... All right, well, that's there for the rest of the day, isn't it? Toy being one of them that we kind of played there. And yeah. I mean, I just think, like, lyrically, it's so powerful as well. I mean, even stuff like, you know, learn your lessons, notice things as blessings. And then, like, and in my view, the line where he's like, you know, I want to be king until I am. Sure. That's so fucked. There's so much in that line. There's so much in that sentence. Uh, Lord has that as well. And, like, there's just so much going on. And, like, there is that weird thing of, like, it was interesting to, like, listen to this when I went to see that film because I was like, this is also quite dark and it's unafraid to show you this. It's telling you, it's being so honest. And, like, you know, I've talked before on this podcast about my mental health problems and they are problems and that's something that I'm still struggling with. And I feel like I will be uh, for the rest of my life. That's just the way it is. And I've had a couple of days this week where I felt particularly bad and particularly empty. And I'm like, fuck, is this the album that I should be listening to while I'm doing this? But I do find those pockets of light and I, and I, and I respect them for actually not holding back ironically not sugarcoating it again we talked about how there's like a lot of reading between the lines here but there's also I think space in which to sort of insert your own meaning so yeah, to speak. And, and, and again yeah. they, they've welcomed that idea of interpretation everything from the title down to you know a lot of what are 
occasionally quite abstract lyrics. Yeah, and even stuff like, you know, again, you, you might argue with a different act that might be on the nose, stuff like, you know, like, you know, you, bro- oh, yeah. you broke a little toy, you say a little boy, and then the last track, you know, you'll never find your way to, to heaven, all this kind of stuff. I was like, these feel like, you know, not my contemporaries because I'm not a musician, but like in life, they feel like peers. They feel like people with real stories, real problems and real ups and downs, real wins and losses. And yeah. I, again, I just love that like three albums in, it's like they're not like trying to hide any of this. And in fact, it's like, it's almost like a dog whistle where it's almost like you're either hearing this or you're not. That's it. Yeah. That's actually a great way of putting it because last week when you were discussing David Byrne, I kind of talked about, you know, like the medium being the message, so to speak, and how there are at that times during that album kind of like, you know, jumpy moments and and slight bits of chaos where that is the point. You're meant to sort of tap into that. And for a while, I think Young Fathers probably subscribed to the same idea. If you've ever seen them live or indeed if you've listened to the previous two albums, the aggression and the sort of in-your-face delivery was very much kind of, you know, pushing you towards, well, this is the whole point here. This is how we feel. This is how you're meant to be hearing this album, so Mm. to speak. I think they know now that, you know, that's kind of set their flag down already. They don't need to worry about that. They can make these more subtle, more nuanced records and people will buy in or will hopefully buy in, especially those who are already familiar with the band and will be rewarded phenomenally for it the question that i alluded to earlier is could this as some people have suggested be a crossover album could this be the making of you know genuine stars here as opposed to what they are now really a cult act i feel like maybe in julian casablanca's world yes but i don't see any of these propelling them to humongous fame um but yeah, it is quite accessible. I mean, like a track like Lord for me is, it sounds with some of those gospel elements and the kind of the, the way it builds. It's like an inverted ultralight beam for me. Like I thought like a lot of the kind of biblical references and things, I thought about some of Chance's recent work and how that's very sunshine Baptist thing. And this is way more kind of fire and brimstone. And, yeah. But actually the abrasive elements, which would have been more to the forefront on their previous records, are kind of at arm's length here. And there's references throughout the album to kind of, you know, yeah, biblical allusions and also kind of like, you know, children's fairy tales. And I thought that was interesting in how it's kind of like these you know, quite horrifying things just dressed up and coached in these manageable kind of, you know, quite digestible things that actually you can take the lessons from them without properly burning yourself. It, it feels yeah. like, you know, when you compare two movies, one of which is kind of crude and jump scare filled and the other just very skillfully yeah. creates that air of like dread and distrust and this starts this, this album starts on a jump scare. The first sound you hear is like a tense, like it sounds yeah. like a fucking... I don't know, it sounds like a, a wrought iron door being slammed as a truck screeches. Yeah. And like that that's what they put out the microphone out the window of the studio and picked up and then like put some reverb on it or something. It starts in media res in this strange kind of thing. And we talk about world building all the time on this program. And yet, I mean, this builds a world for sure, but it's mm-hmm. very difficult to stay within it. You have to fight for space and that's what they're doing. And it's so compact as well. I do wonder, like the three of them, how they even write together because it just seems to, you seem to be getting this multi-layered, multi-narrative, multi-personal thing thing by all accounts i think you've kind of nailed it there because they've talked before about how they 
basically just go hell for leather in very short spaces of time with very little actual communication between the three of them it's very much kind of a free form thing it's like this podcast um. <laughs> precisely yeah um i i hope we're as good as them someday lads because this is yeah this is it's fantastic. Probably. I mean, yeah, it's you can't pigeonhole them, but it, I keep going back to more post-punk than hip-hop. I mean, there's a lot of kind of elements of, you know, Suicide's debut album. I kept being drawn to, you know, pub, Public Image Limited things, just in the kind of very daring use of kind of commonplace sounds, but just totally distorting them and recontextualizing the world. And it's quite a dystopian album, but it's also really dead on the money. And that's a scary thing, I think. Yeah. It's great. Very much so. And I guess, again, to kind of mention sonically, like they managed to just do kind of everything with every kind of texture and instrument sound and just like the arrangements and the builds and everything. They're not, they're really unconventional while also being ridiculously confident like yeah. I mean it's it's just astonishing how like they're almost communicating in their own language yeah it feels like the sounds themselves are part of the narrative it isn't just well this sounds good it's telling its own story well, it's yeah. riding the beats like yeah. Jay Hastings of the band actually does most of the music and yeah that makes sense I don't think this will elevate them to a bigger height. I don't think it needs to. I think they're that kind of act, and I think they're fairly happy in their own kind of disharmony. They play the Academy in a couple of weeks. I think some tickets are still available for that, and we're definitely going, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. It's the best thing I've heard all year. I would be shocked if there's anything much better this year. I hope that there is, but, you know, a long way to go. Uh, it, this knocked me the fuck out. It's 9 out of 10. Yeah, I'm swinging between 8.5 and 9. I'll go 8.75, split the difference, <laughs> phenomenal album. I gave David Byrne 8 last week, and I think this is a really good, kind of good one-two punch, because um, they, you know, they've actually kind of a lot of similarities in the worldview, and certainly in terms of quality. I think this has even more quality. I'd go, I'd go a very strong 8.5 on this, verging on a 9. It's terrific. Yeah, and it is vital. It is essential listening, and I want people to listen to it. So, you know, if, if you do listen to albums that we recommend, great. And if you don't, Please listen to this one. Yeah. Taking us into the songs of the week this week, before we do a random game, there's only one place to start to follow up from last week, because you talked about him. You talked yeah. about the Forbidden Fruit forthcoming Vince Staples and his new campaign for a track that is, of course, called Get the Fuck Off My Dick. So, Pitchfork have said that this track confirms Vince Staples as maybe the sharpest, or at least one of, for sure, writers in the rap game. Do we agree? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's he's very... Adroit might be the word. Um, yeah, I, I kind of... I am a big fan of uh, his approach and where he's coming from. I love how he can... He can kind of go from talking about his his Long Beach kind of upbringing and the really horrors of where that was and then switch it with, you know, um, cash and checks from Nike or Coca-Cola and do it in a way that doesn't just seem like the cliched rags to riches thing. It's just how jarring those images are and how deftly he does it. Um, Overall, this song, I mean, as he kind of marketing gimmicks go, it's great. The beat is sparse not exactly trilling 
it's actually it reminds me of an ASAP Rocky thing from last year it's not the most original I think it's him and DJ uh, Dahi again Dahi, yeah, yeah. Not, not our boy Dahi but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like, what quite different <laughs> yeah I mean it's, it's the beat is fine I, I like what he's doing. It's not earth-shattering, but it's enjoyable. Yes, DJ Dahi, as he said, he was responsible for Summertime 06, Sometimes or large say, yeah. parts of yeah. it. Um, I'm not sure that this marks Vince Staples out as being one of the best writers out there, but I think this definitely marks Vince Staples out as being one of the most interesting characters out there. And by that, I mean the whole thing. The, the promotion, the, the, the GoFundMe video. It has, as you say, that idea of kind of wrestling with his past and his present, which I've, you know, very much appreciated, uh, especially on, on Big Fish Theory when it comes up so often, I think. Yeah. Where he's kind of trying to, you know, resolve these two very different things going on in his life. It, it, it It's an odd one in that you felt, listening to Big Fish Theory, you were like, God, this has blown the doors open in terms of what he could do sonically. So it's strange to find that he retreats immediately back to what he did on the previous album. But it's a good song. Yeah. It's a great sort of stunt and story, all things considered. Yeah, it's a great package. Look, Vince has set a very high standard for himself. And as a result, I was mildly disappointed by this. But at the same time, the more I listened to it, the more I did like it. And I respect it for what it is on its own terms, much like I respect him for doing everything on his own terms and doing it to such a degree. I mean, yeah, I think Pitchfork maybe overblew it, but I think that's the type of thing now where it's like, you know, let's hail him, which they have been doing and a lot of people have been doing, but like he's he's done better. But it's a perfectly fine check-in. It's a perfectly fine, here's where I'm at right now, here's the track, etc. I wouldn't want a whole album of it because I like when he is a bit more aloof. But it works and again, sonically, it sounds fantastic. I mean, like like he just has this uh, hold and command over what he does and it's dark. I mean, it's been a week for fucking dark music and that's what this is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's great, but it's not quite at the level that he can be there's there is a conversation at the moment of whether he's just being willfully uh, obtuse or just trolling people for the fun of it and you know he's kind of is he playing up that thing a lot of the time more so in his comments than this particular song that he is the hip-hop guy that doesn't really give a shit about hip-hop well that comes across in this for sure this is not him at his sharpest yeah but he's still sharper than your average you know that's kind of how it goes okay guys a number between two and five please craig Four, please, David. This is Beach House, and let's dive into this song. It's called Dive. Okay, so, um, yeah, two and a half minutes or so, you're getting your beach house by numbers, and then this gorgeous, driving, lazy guitar comes in and takes you to another place altogether. And those first two and a half minutes shouldn't be dismissed the way I just did there, because they're also quite nice. Beach House is one of those acts that I do find it's difficult to really kind of fall entirely in love with them, but I very much enjoyed what this was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, look, this is from their seventh studio album, <laughs> and it is pro- it's plus a change, really, isn't it? You know, I mean, like, it's good, don't get me wrong. But, you know, the the moment for having a wow moment with Beach House is most definitely past. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it would be really harsh to call them, like, wallpaper music. They make, 
lovely music that I never really commit to because there's not a lot to commit to there. And I think, yeah, that switch up is interesting. I do like that guitar part. But the way it's been talked about in some quarters is just like, it's a revolution for Beach House. And that is strictly because, yeah, there's so many. Who is saying this? There's people online. uh, You know, I'm I'm, I'm on the internet. I'm talking to people. (laughs) All right. I'm out there. Um, But yeah, I mean, after so many records, I guess any any (laughs) slight movements away from that trademark sound does feel like a kind of, you know, huge moment. Um, I don't know what that means for where they're going. If but it it's, yeah, it's nice. It's it's nice. Yeah, it's it's grand. <laughs> on them for trying. I and enjoyed it, a bit. and it kind of fit in well in the mini Spotify playlist of these tracks. But yeah. at the same time, it could be argued that maybe it was the weakest. But who knows? We're going to find out in a second because there's still three numbers left, lads. Two, three, or five. Call them. Let's go number two. It's John Hopkins with a song that sounds like it's a Sonic the Hedgehog level. <laughs> Emerald Rush. I would suggest this sounds more like a Jean-Claude Van Damme crime heist. Very good. I like it. And I like this song quite a lot. I think it's fucking awesome. He's playing Body and Soul this year, and this would almost make me go back to the, the rain-soaked trenches. He's also playing Vicar Street a few months later, oh, so you God, don't need I'll, to. I'll go there instead. The rain-soaked Vicar Street That's trenches. Much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is fantastic, and it's full of little subtle lifts and they come along, and they are mad euphoric. Yeah. It's, it's great. I love this. I yeah, fell, re- fell for this hard this week. Euphoric's a good word. Yeah, like... The, like there's a strangely strong trance feel to this tune yeah. e- even though it is a fairly heavy techno beat in the middle of it um, and yeah like the little flourishes just kind of dance around it really nicely it feels and and you feel like it could be so easy to suffocate them with just the sheer volume of the track but it doesn't no it doesn't and it really benefits because of it yeah um, I mean, we just talked about a kind of switch up in the track. This is kind of how it's done. Um, it starts off just kind of gorgeously doing this very, it's almost like that ASMR thing where it's, you know, you can feel it almost this kind of, you know, it's pressing against your skin. It's a great thing. Reminds me a lot of um, Ray Lynch, who um, is in the genre of new age instrumentals, but don't let that put you off because he's got some great <laughs> hey, stuff. we've already been throwing props at Enya. We're open to anything <laughs> yeah. around here. Um, and then, then, sorry, the switch up is, I love that kind of stuttering, almost stifling beat that just kind of pulls back the kind of grandeur of it all as well. It really adds, it's kind of like imperfections carefully placed there on purpose, just elevating the whole thing. It's almost like a kind of soundtrack too, like a David Attenborough, you know, Animal Planet kind of wonderful show, but the skybox is a bit dodgy. (laughs) Wow, how do I follow that? Well, I'm not sure I'd make it onto a David Attenborough show, but I will say that I very much enjoyed simultaneously powering through horrible rain in Dublin city centre and or like on a nicer day, rounding a corner and just getting like blasted in the face by sunshine it's it's really good for that it's really good for just being out and about and meandering around people and all that kind of stuff and I really liked it again it took me somewhere and I love when music does that and this did up next 
We have two numbers left, lads. Craig Fitzpatrick? A tree, please, Dave. Well, I'm glad you went for this one, because I think it follows this one quite well. Simeon Mobile Disco and Hey Sister. Nothing to do with train and hey, hey soul, soul sister. sister. <laughs> Ain't that Mr. Mister on the radio? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is very enjoyable. I particularly liked how kind of uh, disorientating it was, or disorienting, whatever that word is. There was a certain kind of weird wicker manness to this, and I think it's in that kind of title refrain. However, it starts really well, and I wonder if it punches itself out and doesn't quite pick up the thread that it itself sets down. Yeah, like those, like the Discord and those synths as well. It's kind of a thread that's running through a lot of these songs this week and just music in general. I don't know, Sign of the Times or something like that. Not Harry Styles' album, but... Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I did enjoy this, and it did then start to wear out its welcome, and I'm just thinking, I mean, they're doing this uh, record with the Deep Troth Choir. Is it a record? Yeah, I believe it's a nice yeah. Well, it's a nine-tracker EP. Okay. I think they're calling it an album. Right. Um, I think them over the course of an entire whatever it is might be a bit wearisome. I mean, I knew you said that they're doing a live date in London, and as far as I understand, that's a one-off. And I can see how this would work live, but recorded is doing almost nothing for me. It, it felt a little like. You know these things that, like you know it's Pete Tong doing like you know an orchestra playing a beat of classics and it's like well maybe if you were there this would have like yeah. an excitement and a novelty value but on record it just sounds a bit kitsch or something. They brought in yeah the Deep Throat Choir and I mean yeah it's it's fine. They've it's ta- grand. Yeah, they've talked about the choir being like an incredible new synthesizer we get to play with. It's oh, like, oh no. That's uh, not into that. Uh, (laughs) Let's swiftly move on. The final track this week is the no encore debut of uh, Young Upstart Pearl Jam. Here they are. Deny me. I was going to ask, can you? Yeah. It's a bad song. Did you enjoy Eddie Vedder uh, deciding to pretend that he was in Book Cherry? <laughs> have you ever heard Crazy Bitch by Book Cherry? Is it just this riff? Let's have a listen to Crazy Bitch by Book Cherry. Hey, y'all crazy bitch, but you fuck so good I'm on top of it when I dream. I'm doing you all night. Stretches off down my back to keep me right on. Hey. There you go, that's Josh Todd being horrific. 
Eddie Vedder, meanwhile, on Can't Deny Me, I mean, they wrote this song better in 1998. Well, that's the issue with Pearl Jam, just across the board, isn't it? I mean, I was thinking recently, I know, Dave, you mentioned, you know, all the last great Pearl Jam album. And you went, we yield, um, which is fair. And I was saying that, genuinely, like maybe with one or two swaps, you could put Pearl Jam's entire career as a downward trajectory. <laughs> Whoa. Right? <laughs> Do you mean like starts t- at 10, 10 is number starts one? Starts at 10. Yeah. Versus, versus. Yeah. Vitality. Vitality. Yes. Or vitality. Yeah. No yes. code. Now, I was saying, yeah. Now, now, maybe switch yield back a little bit, and then you get towards binaural and the self-titled Riot, uh, Riot Act in is in between the two of them. Riot Lightning Bolt is most recent. Backspacer was like 2009. That's actually... That, that got good notes. That, that's a good album. That's, that's probably the, the first last, half of that album was good. Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. well, I think the maybe... The Fixer is a great single. I think maybe it was the last moment they had something to say. The Fixer is a fantastic single. Yeah. Uh, but by no means anywhere near the quality of their 90s stuff. No. Um, I mean, yeah. look, they're a band living off their 90s heyday. They're a live act at this point, a touring act. And, and they also have like some of the hardest hardcore fans around. That's it. And this song was originally put out fan club only. Yeah, yeah, and you thought, was. well, that makes perfect sense because they'll always pick up what they're putting down. And then you realise, no, it's the first single from their new album. And you're like, oh, <laughs> and great. Who's, who's in the, Brace yourselves who's here, Who's in folks. the crosshairs? Oh, it's oh, Donald Trump. Yeah, Julian Casablancas <laughs> will be very happy to hear this form of protest music. The 45th President of the United States is, in fact, a bad dude. Yeah, and you, oh, God, the lyrics here are just so, so cringy. I mean, Eddie Vedder is talking about, I was going to single out some lines, but they're all so terrible I didn't bother, right? <laughs> but he's talking about, like, don't speak down to me because I'm actually not that stupid but he comes across as like yeah. and he is a clever dude I like don't like him off yeah. you talk about like this being very book cherry or very 90s this I was immediately thinking this is very Ronnie James Dio in the early 80s um, because that riff that is a riff you stumble across when you're learning a tart and you go don't like the sound of that <laughs> it's just and okay Eddie Vedder's problem I think now is that his voice is it sounds shot it's obviously changing with age, which is understandable, but he's not managing it well. He's doing this weird, he's not committing to either being like fully, you know, full throated and embracing the rasp or just trying to sing in a deep kind of gorgeous kind of way that we know he can. He's just doing this kind of half song speaking in the verses. There's no melody. I just have to ask you there, sorry, is embracing the rasp a Ronnie James Dio record, is it? <laughs> it should be. It should be. Um... I mean, for God's sake, their name is written in graffiti on the fucking cover art. Do you think our lads Green Day? <laughs> <laughs> really capturing that, yeah. yeah 21st century zeitgeist. zeitgeist. Yeah, breakdown zeitgeist. Hey, look, I used to love Pearl Jam, but this is trash. I'm sorry. In the other listening corner this week, guys, I've been quite taken by the Soccer Mommy debut album. Not the greatest moniker in the world. The album's called Clean, and it's really fucking good. I like it quite a bit. Very much creates its own, you know, singer-songwritery uh, world, but there's a cynicism here and a bite and a venom and some actually some really fucking strong songwriting that I was very much taken by so check it out Soccer Mommy Clean it's really good yeah I've actually been listening to that as well I, that was the first time I heard the name um, said out loud and I, d- I thought it was quite clever when written I saw down. it written down, written down but then fine. when you said Soccer Mommy yeah <laughs> written down it's fine but yeah. it doesn't um, yeah. but yeah no I, I agree with the kind of bite thing there's She's some amazing really hooks in it yeah yeah there's some great songs uh, it was very enjoyable it's short and I think maybe there's still a couple of tracks like, like Outsider Welcome. So, but as of kind of you know a very early kind of salvo, there's a lot of promise there. It's great. Um, yeah, so check that out. I, I concur. I'm going to be away <laughs> next week and quite busy. 
as well. So I've <laughs> get your excuse. No, no, yeah, exactly. What a way to end exactly. The show. So, no, well, because Jesus, because I like get married. A, no, a full <laughs> ten days early. I've started getting myself oh. hyped up for Phoenix. Oh, oh great! Yeah, play the Olympia in yeah week and a half. Somebody told me recently, um, you know that. You have a boyfriend who yeah, looks like a girlfriend. No, I. Someone told me that the Phoenix album is crap. It might have been David Tapley. Well, or maybe we, it was Zara. We, we shall have words. Who? What? Someone said the, the new last Phoenix Tiama album was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. It was either um, it was either Tara, or Tara. It was either Zara or Tapley. Yeah. Okay. No. 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 Exactly. Tiama was amazing. Uh, yeah. Wolfgang Amadeus is still a banger. You go all the way back to United. Still quality. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that gig. It's gonna and, be uh, fun. I, I shall return to Irish shores for that. It's gonna be a fun right. couple of nights. Like uh, you got Phoenix and you got Young Fathers the next day. Ooh. That's gonna be good. Shit. Yeah, that's great. Looking forward to those. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. Enjoy your week off, Colin. Do me best. Where are you going again? Uh, going to England. Got a friend's wedding. Nice. Yeah. Seeing how the other half live. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Other half in England. Craig, or? you'll be here though next week. I will. Yeah, I'm delighted to be so. And we will be bringing in. <laughs> we'll be bringing in a special guest co-host. So you'll have to wait and see who that is. Oh. So for now, though, I guess yeah. Oh my god, we're only reunited now. We're and we're, we're disbanding no, again. We're not again. Fuck's sake! And then Craig's away the following week. Oh, listen, sure. So just all- cher- cherish these moments, guys. Stop oh. thinking in the future. Just here and now, we're all together. All falls down. Now, let's listen to the minutes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> New Irish music from a band that we thought were gone, but they're not. The hard rocking, hard grafting, the minutes. We kind of go back with these guys. Yeah. We do some hot press stuff, uh, nice chaps, and they can write an L rocking song. They can, and they've gone a bit funky, though, for their comeback, and I'm quite fond of the lads. The track is called Got My Love, and they're back, 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 back. In fact, they've got a couple of gigs coming up as well. They're playing in Whelan's on the 18th of May, and the IMRO award-winning venue of the year, <laughs> Mike the Pies, in uh, Listowel, County yeah, Kerry, yeah, yeah. on the 25th head of May. I think, we'll, uh, I think we'll catch them. Last, last time I was on the roads with the minutes. Two of us literally ended up on top of a wardrobe in a hotel in Cork, so I'm going to give this one a skip. I guess we're I remember gonna, those photos. I guess we're going to have to get them in for a chat then, but until then, here's the new single. It's called Got My Love. My name is David William Hanrady. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And it's the fucking minutes, guys. Woo! Ow! Been going out, out of my mind Since I ain't got you Since I ain't got you
podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of a Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's a Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.